Hello and welcome to Relationship Rescue, the podcast, Every Relationship Begins With You. And today we're going to go into, um, well, part two of my inner child. Uh, uh, Let's just call it five to maybe 12. And then, um, but before I begin telling you about those years, um, if you have not listened to my inner child part one, I would go back and just, this really will help explain while you're, everybody's history, everybody's childhood is different. No two are the same. We really do leave our childhoods. It's not about the events. Remember that, and I say this over and over again. It's not about the events. It's about the emotions surrounding the memories of a continuum of um, events or situations that are happening in your life as a child that you don't know how to process. So it's a memory with an emotion tied to it that has been not been processed. That emotion is just sitting there tied to a memory. And so when you get triggered, that memory and that emotion are what gets triggered and what starts the process. Okay, so what we need to do is reprogram, rewire the brain. There's the, it's the mind and the brain work together. Well, they don't actually. If you can, when you heal the mind, you can then work with the brain. Okay, so it's really important to understand that because the brain is designed to work perfectly and the mind, when out of control, when unhealed, basically allows the brain and all of the automatic responses, subconscious, to go crazy. Okay, so anyways, if you have not listened to my inner child part one, I think it's two podcasts ago, go listen to it. But see, all of us have two distinct aspects of our personality, the adult and the child. And so when these are two parts are connected and working together, there's this sense of wholeness within, okay? Which is basically the conscious mind and the subconscious mind. However, okay, when we're, you know, if we're wounded, and we've grown up in these dysfunctional or abusive households, and there is an undeveloped um, mind, unhealed mind, and we, we feel like there's always a sense of conflict within or an emptiness or a lo- an aloneness within, we're not really getting um, clear, positive messages. We're not strengthened in our mind that can help us control our triggered reactions and change them from reactions to responses, right? So so basically, you, you know, you're either operating out of your child or your adult. And the parent in you is the self-critic you hear. And a lot of the times I will hear my um, client's critic voice. And I said, even the other day, I said to a client, oh, is, is, that, is that the way your mom spoke to you? Are these the words your mother would say? Because I hear your parent right now. You don't even, some of my clients don't even understand when they're actually speaking to me from their parent. And that is when they're criticizing themselves, right? Of course. So, um, knowing that I know when a parent, when the, when the self-criticism starts, that you um, but you're not aware of it, and I know when I'm hearing the parent voice and I ask a client, they're like, oh, yeah, I want you to think about that for a minute. Okay, so how often do you 
self-criticize and it's actually somebody else's voice, not actually yours. Okay. So, um, when you're not truly valued as a child, okay, it's very hard to value the child within you. So, um, what we'll do is we will connect, we will sever the tie between the adult and the child, but the adult is actually running the show. So uh, when you create this disconnection within ourselves, then we're living in misery. Um, understanding and valuing the child is basically within you is essential to becoming whole, right? So the inner child functions in the right brain. So the inner child is all about being, feeling, experiencing, as opposed to the adult who is doing, thinking, and acting, but also has feelings, okay? A full range of them. You know, doing relates to like the external physical world to um, performing an action, while being refers to existing um, in the internal, emotional, and the spiritual level. Doing is an outer experience, while being is an inner experience. Okay, so a lot of the times if I'm feeling triggered, because we all, you'll still feel triggered once in a while. You have a lot of long-term memories in there with emotions, a lot of experiences. And while you will heal the, the self-limiting beliefs, while you can rewire your neuronal pathways and stuff, sometimes a long-term memory tied to that emotion in the amygdala, in the hippocampus, in the old brain will activate that um, the parasympathetic nervous system, the central nervous system, and all of it will start going haywire, right? And that is when I feel that, is when I will stop and I'll say to myself, Heather, what do you need right now? What do you need? And that's me talking to my inner child, right? What do you need? Right? Do you need a hug? Do you need to go for a run? Do you need to go for a walk? What is it? Do you need to dance? Dancing is a big part of my life, meaning I don't go to dance class in my house, in my office, putting on music, going nuts. And it's amazing how my inner child needed that right then to feel free, not to feel trapped, not to feel um, unworthy of something, to know that I am free to stop and dance if I feel like it and listen to whatever music I want to listen to. See, it, that is a connection with the child within me. I am filling that child's unmet needs from childhood which is what healing is. Because what do we do? We look for other people in relationships, including friendships, including every relationship you have, to fill your needs. Well, actually, you can fill your own damn needs, which is what you want. Yes, you should have your needs also validated and, and you know there should be mutual love reciprocate to, in the relationship. But guess what? Until you fill your own needs, until you're able to say to yourself, what do you need right now, Heather? What do you need? What can I do for you? You will not be able to operate in a relationship. Why not? Because when I'm upset, I will consistently always look for my partner to fill those needs, which are actually voids because that's what they become when they're unfilled as a child. And they can't fill that void because they don't know exactly what your inner child needs. Only you do. Once you heal it, once you fill it, then guess what? Then... You are an autonomous, healthy, healed individual, and so, and your partner would hopefully be too. And then you guys can you can go to your partner and say, "I just need a hug right now." Instead of using protest behaviors, instead of dismissing, avoiding, instead of detaching, instead of all the bullshit that we do in order to feel love and connected, which all come down to the attachment style. I know that I explained that quickly today, but I need you to understand before I continue with my inner child about how important this is. 
right? And I'm never going to stop talking about it. I'm probably going to keep telling you the same thing in a hundred million different ways. And why? Because everybody processes information differently. And sometimes I say something that resonates with another and sometimes it's a different person. So listen to what I say, take what you need, leave the rest, but take what you need and process it and do something with it. So my inner child part two. So let's see. So we, again, go back, listen to my inner child part one part. I, you know, got you up till I was five years old. So now my dad is going to get remarried. And um, I obviously now can look at the stepmother as a very, she was a very codependent, broken, very broken woman. Um, and when I think about her, it used to be that she made me sick. Like I was like, oh, you are, we're so pathetic. But Obviously, I, I, I mean, I know why she stayed, why she is, what all of those things. But still, she made my life way worse than it needed to be. So she moved in with her daughter, um, and her daughter was my brother's age. Now, remember, at this point, our mother, my, our mother is dead. Our father is checked out. Um, we've been passed around from with my grandparents. I have been basically shunned, um, treated like, you know. Um, one of these days, I'll I'll do a podcast on the scapegoat. I was the scapegoat. If you look at that, I was not the golden child. I was a scapegoat. Someday, like I said, I will do a podcast on the scapegoat. That was me. So, um, I don't remember a lot of things, but for some reason, I remember things that technically I'm not supposed to remember, which is odd. Um, as far as what they would say psychologically. Um, so... When she moved in uh, with her daughter, my father could not stand the daughter. Um, and I believe at the time, it was because, you know, she had a mother and her three children didn't. Um, so one of the first memories was uh, we were eating dinner and I asked where um, this little girl was. And her mother was at the dinner table with us and she was in the basement. The little girl was in the basement in a high chair eating all by herself because my dad didn't like, I guess, the way she chewed. She was barely three. And I remember thinking, this is wrong. This is wrong. This is not right. And I got up and I went downstairs and I started feeding this little girl and our basement was being redone at the time. and There was sawdust everywhere and I remember... They had put her in a room behind where the bar was being built. And it was a big bar. And and there was a door, which was going to be in, which would have been the laundry room. And um, I walked in there, and she was just crying all alone in her high chair while her mother was up there sitting with uh, my dad and his three children. And I just stood next to her, and I remember putting my hand in my, leaning in my elbow, my hand in my head and feeding this little girl whatever was on her plate. I say Cheerios, but I don't know what they were. Um, and thinking this is just horrible. Um, not long after that, we, my father, we snowmobiled. We did all the fun things. He was making a lot of money by then. Um, we were at a friend's house. You know, we had snowmobiled with. My dad had a lot of good drinking buddies. And the families that we hung out there with, there were two other families with kids. And we had a blast with these kids and this is what's odd about my childhood is that um while it was so abusive and so so many abandonment issues so much um pain so much hurt 
some of the best times of my life I had and 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 some of them were with these other two families and their children and the parents would drink and anyways we're at one of the family's house and I remember waking up to a screaming and uh, middle of the night I walk and I'm looking and there's my father over the stepmother's um standing over her she's in the bathtub he's choking her and the other families are trying to the parents are trying to get him off and saying, you know, George, Heather's here, Heather's here, Heather's here, Heather's here. And I remember he let her go. So that continued. Um, the abuse. Him throwing the stepdaughter down the stairs. Me continuously saving the woman. Not understanding any of it. Feeling very left out at school with why did the other kids have these mothers. This woman wasn't my mom. I couldn't understand any of it. All they knew was that I'm in a home, my mom's dead, my grandmother's gone now, the one person that I tried to attach to, this woman's here, but I'm actually in the role of saving her. How does that happen? How do I end up at 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, all the way to 15, by the way, save a woman and her daughter while my abusive father, alcoholic, is going after her? I don't get it. Like, obviously, I'm totally confused and I'm going to school. And I am, I excelled at school, you know, um, very, very smart um, at, at athletics, very, you know, won all the blue ribbons. You know, my dad, we became little sports fiends from the minute we could like get a walk. You know, we ice skated, we downhill skiing race, but then of course we played volleyball, basketball. We spent hours playing, you know, um, uh, running bases and, and just very athletic family anyways um so the first time he got pulled over for drunk driving we were almost home we were in the car pull over the police take him and i remember looking at him in handcuffs and we had a lincoln town car at the time thinking oh no where is my dad going where is he going how who's going to take care of us and that was an underlying theme because he was consistently thrown in jail for duis or missing um of who is going to take care of us because our mother was dead and how could this woman who I'm saving take care of us? I didn't know. So I was a constant fear of abandonment and it, I was getting abandoned over and over and over. So see, my abandonment wound is very deep, very, very deep. So when I, during my healing journey, one of the things I've realized is this. It's not just in a romantic relationship. It's in every relationship I have now. If the relationship is not being reciprocated, not in a way that it's a needy way, not in a way that it's, you know, obviously, because I don't have a lot of time to be talking to people, and actually I don't talk to people very much, but besides my clients, that's the thing. Um, if I feel that, you know, there's just people that can't put in effort um, or are unhealed and, and you know, don't return texts, don't return phone messages. Um, and I mean, I'm not talking about in 15 minutes. I'm talking about for days, right? Can't respect me enough to do that. Can't respect me enough to call back. I've stopped communicating. I just stop now. I'm done. You, I, I do not hold ill will. You can reach out to me when you're ready. And it has saved me so much heartache and pain because it's so much when you have an abandonment ish, issue that's really deep. And um, 
you're in unhealthy relationships or you're with you know you're dealing with people that are just in their own healing journey and they're unable to um give back anything or they're not in a healing journey they're just unhealed and they're just passive aggressive or whatever anyways you will start to personalize it you will start to make assumptions you will start to second guess things you will start to and i don't want to do that who wants to do that it's ew ew do you know how many people i get it's this is the funniest thing ever too do you know how many people in my life and i don't even bother talking to them anymore that have attacked me because I've written posts on Instagram and said, oh, you were talking about me, weren't you? If the shoe fits, what the fuck? I mean, give me a break. Do you know how many people see my work on Instagram and see my work on LinkedIn and hear my podcast? Do you really think it's all about you? And that will tell you a lot about that person a lot because my work speaks to millions of people right do you think you're if it if you see yourself in something then it's time to look within but what people do is they take it so personally and i don't have time for that shit anymore goodbye Goodbye, 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 goodbye. I've sang this song before. I goodbye, goodbye, goodbye. When you grow up, come back. And I get it. I get it. I do. But so my point is, is that when you have an issue and you know it's a deep one for you, and mine is abandonment, and there are people that just trigger you, and because of their own wounding, you might you need to walk away for a little bit, and that's okay. Okay. So now you can see I am literally like okay. No consistency, no constant of anybody in my life. So I'm going through all of the, um, you know, drunk driving. We had a, my father was um, got in a, a snowmobile accident. We were told he was going to die. Hit a wall, a seawall. Dom was by the time I was 12, he had been in two drunk driving accidents where we were told to go say goodbye to him at, in, down in an ICU. Said goodbye, dragged down. He lived. But when I was 10 years old, and this is the big one, and this is the thing that really um, was, um, I, I, I think, created. The abandonment was, movement was already in there. So now I'm 10 years old. I've been going, saving Pat and her, sorry, the stepmother and her daughter for five years now. And also I have been, uh, everything that I've explained um, from my first five years, and now we're at 10. So we had a, a condo in the, in my father owned a condo in Florida. He loved to deep sea fish. So we would go, um, we had a boat, nice, big, beautiful boat. And we would take it from Fort Lauderdale to, or Miami, wherever it was docked, um, to the Bahamas. We didn't go to your traditional islands. It was all Chub K, Walker's K, all these little fishing islands. Anyways, we were, um, it was a good, it was a good trip. My sister had brought a friend and I don't really remember, but her very much but um and during the trip what was odd was my dad um had we were snorkeling on a reef and he had said my sister and her friend were i think her name was pam anyways we're snorkeling and i was for some reason above water and my dad said i'm and now remember we're pretty much out there in the middle of the ocean in the, in the atlantic ocean off of an island called chub k can't barely even see this island, I, you know, in a boat. And my dad says, 
Heather, I'm running to the island. I'll be right back. Is that okay? And I said, yeah, that's fine. I'm 10 years old. Who the fuck asks a 10-year-old if it's okay to possibly, can you, can you leave that, right? Give me a break. So I, um, I say yes, and my sister and Pam got up. They were snorkeling, like I said, and, and Kelly and, the, and her asked, Where, where's, where's the boat? Where's dad? And I said, oh, he said he will be right back. Well, we're in the middle of literally the ocean. <laughs> And her friend freaks out. Kelly freaks out. And, um, and Kelly's like, what the hell? I go, well, dad asked and blah, blah, blah. And everybody's now freaking out. Now I'm freaking out. And my sister's trying to calm us down. And we were left out there for like, you know, 30 minutes. Well, the friend was so fearful. She called her parents when um, we got back to on the boat to the island. I don't know how she did it. And she was flown home. Her parents took her, brought her home because really think about that. Who does that? Who leaves the kids? And what 10-year-old says, yeah, just leave us out in the middle of the ocean. No problem. And the dad says, yeah, I'm going to take you up on that. I'll be back. Who knows where he went? We don't even know. But I was just used to saying yes uh, to whatever Anybody wanted, yes, enmeshment, 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 pleasing, 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 but also knowing I would figure it out and I could take care of it myself from the very early age. I'm 10 at this time. So she goes home because of obviously that family thinks we, my dad is insane and they fly their daughter home, which would have cost a shit ton of money. But anyways, so she's gone. Um, two days later, we are going from Chub K to an island called Walker's K, or maybe it was actually, we're going to Bimini. Anyways, um, my brother, my sister and I, and my dad were on the boat, and I guess somebody else was there, I don't remember, I don't remember. Um, now, keep, keep in mind, my father never allowed the stepdaughter on any of the vacations, and her mother went with it. She was never allowed to go on vacations with us. She was sent to her grandparents' house. Who the hell agrees? What mother agrees with this, the, the husband that her daughter will not ever go to, she never went to Disney World, never went to any of the most amazing vacations we had. She was never allowed on them. Never. How messed up is that? Who does that? And then watches her daughter get thrown downstairs, hit, and then, and she gets beat while the stepdaughter steps in to save you. And by the way, she's five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. It's still at this time. Anyways, so now here we are. Boat stops, long story short. My brother, sister, and I are in the water swimming. And I look up, and there are flames coming out the sides of the boat. Um, and I said to my sister, where's dad? Where's dad? Where's dad? And we look, and there's our father. He's on fire. And he's yelling for my brother, George, 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 George. Thinking George is on the boat. He wasn't. He was with us. And we're like, he's with us. He's with us, dad. He's with us. And all we're doing is staring at him, literally a ball of flames. He jumps into the water and um, a huge smoke goes steam right into the air. Uh, by the way, I should let you know, he had called um, some natives from an island called Cat K and they had come um, and to help with the boat. And so their boat was next to our boat. There was two of them. Anyways, we I swim up to my dad 
and his face is literally bacon. His eyebrows are singed, his hair is singed off. He is looks just like a big, huge fried piece of freaking bacon. Well, at that point I couldn't swim. My sister is holding me, then I could swim and I then start going nuts and I'm going crazy and we get on this boat and he's hiding and he's crouching behind this little, like it's a steering wheel with like a, it's like a podium in the front. And, um, and he's telling us not to look at him, don't look at him, don't look at him, don't look at him, which is odd because for once he stepped up and was a dad and was thinking of his children before himself, which was really bizarre. That I was not used to that. And that fooled me. That tricked me because at that moment, I didn't have a narcissistic, alcoholic, abusive father. At that moment, for a moment, this is important, I had a dad that put his children first and said, do not look at me, Heather, do not look at daddy, do not look. And my brother was silently crying. My sister was literally looking out the back of the boat with no emotion and, um, I am bawling, screaming, looking at him. His The top of layer of his skin had singed and it had rolled back. Um, so it was all black. It was all black. He was, um, it was disgusting, quite frankly. It was, it was, in, it was surprised that he didn't pass out from the, I, I can still see it. We get to the island called Cat K. Um, they helicopter. They call, uh, you know, into the mainland to Florida. They send a helicopter. My dad is helicoptered over to uh, the Miami Burn Center. We're left on the island and the three of us. Um, and for whatever reason, they gave us his license. And we were sitting in a hotel room. And I remember my sister was in the middle and um, at his wallet. And we were looking at his picture. And a cockroach crawled over our legs. And, and I said to my siblings, if dad survives, he will never look like that again because they never looked at him. And before he got on the helicopter and he was on the gurney, I was just begging him, Daddy, please don't die. Don't die. Don't die. And I was begging God, don't take him. We won't have parents. Well, what will we do? Please, who's going to take care of us? Please, God, let him live. Let him live. I love him. I love him. I promise I'll be nice. I love him. Making all these deals with God, begging. And once again, you want to talk about him feeling abandoned, feeling fearful, who's going to take care of us. Here I am right back, but in a way that is um, indescribable, the fear. So we end up going back to Florida a couple days later. It was just, I don't even know, it was odd to have no parents. Um, one is dead and one is, we don't even know what's going on with them. Um, we were taken to see him in the Miami Burn Center once. They, you know, rolled him in. His eyes were basically rolling back of his head. He was a mummy, his morphine, drugged. There was moaning all in there. You know, burn victims, they, oh my God. They have to basically put him in tubs and scrape the dead skin off of their their bodies with like Brillo pads and then to let the new skin grow in. And then they have to go through a physical therapy because if you are not moving your hands as, um, um, as your skin is growing or something or your limbs, you will be paralyzed because your skin will just grow. You have to be, you know, as the skin grows, you need to be moving. So your skin is flexible, obviously. Okay. So horrible experience. We go back um, to Chicago and um, I just put it in my mind and for whatever reason, and I remember thinking this dad's going to come home and it's going to be different this time. And he came home six months later and I remember planning the party and, and just like streamers and this big, huge sign and 
And, you know, he came home and his bandages had to be changed, you know, three, four times a day. And the smell was horrible, the salve and, and the gauze and the, all the crap. And it was just, and I, again, fantasized. Fantasizing is another part of inner child healing that I don't talk about a lot about, or actually childhood wounding. And I will talk about fantasizing here soon. I fantasized of what it was going to be. I fantasized and I did and I imagined. And of course, none of it came true. And he came back and he was actually worse than ever. The same, but worse, abusive, alcoholic. And that was the day I turned. When I realized he was never going to change. And it happened to me at the age of 10. I didn't like him before. Now I hated him. But I loved him deeply. But he fell. There was no going on a pedestal for me ever again. And from that point on, yes, I was fearful of abandonment. All of it. And there's more to come. But the respect, anything he had, I had left for him was it was done, 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 done. And I started really putting all of my um, energies into fighting him and fighting neighbors and doing anything that I was not supposed to do. You know, the apple, the neighbors had an apple tree, a big one. <laughs> and we were told to pick up the apples. And I said, well, they're not our apples. And my dad said, well, you're going to pick up those apples. And he was at work. And so my sis sister and brother were picking up the apples. I picked them up, went and started just chucking them, throwing them as hard as I could at their pool in the next door yard and just everything fighting with people, kids, sticking up for the kids that were getting bullied. It was just this anger was being externalized, but also internalized and wanting love so badly and being fear of being left behind and being abandoned and all and not, I didn't know how to, what to do with any of it. Any of it. I'm enmeshed. I'm discarded. I'm rejected. I'm neglected. I, I don't even know who I am. All I know, and I remember, and this is the time, and I'm going to leave you with this. I sat on the end of my bed and I looked in the mirror and I'll never forget it. My my comforter was white with little pink flowers on it. And I was looking in the mirror and I grabbed my cheeks and I said, who am I and why am I here? I'll never forget it. Who am I and why am I here? It's very profound and I will continue next time. Thank you for tuning in to Relationship Rescue, the podcast, Every Relationship begins with you. I love you. Bye-bye.